Are you at your point where you think you've hit your bottom or maybe that there's just no way you're ever going to feel like things can change? I was like that. I really was. And I want you to know, my name is Bromo, by the way. I want you to know that there is a way out. Please join us for my podcasts. time. Hey, good morning. Actually, it's morning out here. It is the 2nd of February. This is There Is A Way Out. My name is Bromo or Dave, however you want to call me. My sobriety date is uh, 21709. My 15 years coming up, which, by the way, we always have to say if we get there, but my favorite day is coming of, of the year by far. I am an alcoholic. I am not an expert. I don't have any credentials or anything like that. I just have life experience. My hope is for this podcast for anyone who's on the edge, for anyone who thinks they may drink too much, uh, if they have a family member or friends or anybody. I just would love if you pass that on. Maybe somebody could listen to it and uh, figure out that there is a way out. With my own experience and my guest, Steve Sapp, is on the phone with me from San Diego. How are you, buddy? I'm doing tippy-tappy with a song in my heart, as we used to say. <laughs> How is the weather out there? You getting, getting some more rain? You know, we're having that liquid sunshine that we like in Southern California. A little bit too much of it, but, uh, you know, we, we always need cal- rain in California. You know that. Well, here's the thing about Steve. Steve and I go way, way, way back. He uh, was a, a a rock. He was a, a a icon in the radio business. When I was in the radio business in San Diego, he was at a country station, and he was well-known for all of his fine work. We didn't meet until a little later on, and you'll hear that story in a bit. How old are you, if you don't mind uh, telling your – I know you're retired, you lucky dog. Well, I, I semi-retired, semi-retired, but I just turned 70 last week. Oh, sorry about that semi-park. Congratulations on that. All right. Well, way to go. I think I sent you a happy birthday thing, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> All right. So he's uh, 70. He's, what do you mean by semi-retired? You work at a golf course, right? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, I, I got bored when I retired from uh, all, my other, all of my other stuff, so... I, I work at a golf course. I'm the marshal some days. I'm the starter some days. And sometimes I just hang out there some days. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, this golf course where he works at is beautiful. It's one of the most gorgeous uh, golf courses in San Diego. And San Diego's got a ton of them. Every corner, oh, yeah. every corner, yeah. every street corner's got one. And with the weather you guys get out there, you can pretty much play all year round. And that's a given. Yeah. Except for today. Except for, t- are you going to get rain today, or is it, or is it too oh, yeah. much rain it, out it, there? It's, it's rain, it's rain, rain yesterday, rain today, and uh, they actually, I just checked on the, the the circumstances of the course today, and it's the front nine's closed from all the water and the runoff, and the back nine's open, but it's cart path only. So I'll just be sitting at home watching the crazies out there, still, still hitting it, whacking the ball around. So no slip and slide out there, huh? You could open the front nine <laughs> as a slip and slide. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, especially number six. Um, all right, so. Steve uh, was in the radio business when I was uh, years ago. He was an icon out there. And uh, why don't you uh, let everybody know a little bit about your story, if you want to, how you began to get into the world of uh, drinking was your deal, right? Uh, Yeah, you know, like a country song, it was a drinking thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm not a big country fan, but (laughs) you don't need to hum that along. I know. No, I, I, you know, I... I had a, I I like to say I, I had a really good life until it wasn't. Yeah. Um, God, you know, I, I grew up in northern Arizona in Flagstaff on a ranch. Had a great life. Had you know, 4-H and high school, junior high sports, skied, and and so I didn't have any kind of a bad childhood bringing up or uh, raising or anything like that. So 
that wasn't the issue. Um, worked, uh, I managed a bar in Flagstaff for five years before I moved to San Diego. Um, I, there was really, you know, I, 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 I drank probably, um, probably daily, but it, you know, just like a couple of cocktails at night with, uh, get off work, come home and have a couple of cocktails. Yeah. Just, just kind of, I think I was feeding the animal that was already there probably, you know, if you're looking back at it. Yeah. And right. then, uh, working in radio, you know, there's, as you, as you well know, there's, plenty of opportunity to uh, find a party somewhere or make a party somewhere. Yeah. And so we did, we, we did a lot of that too. And I know I've heard you talking some of your pre- previous podcasts, you know, you toyed with marijuana a little bit in high school as I did. And then, you know, in radio messed around with some other stuff, but nothing, you know, nothing really uh, serious. Actually, I'll stop you and on that. Did- I, I would smell funny, funny things, but I never smoked marijuana in high school. It was one of those things where, uh, it is today where I guess drugs are more prevalent. You see it all over the place. Maybe that's what kids tell me these days. But if pot was something that was hidden around the corner back then, and I never dabble in it. But go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I thought I thought you did. But anyway, no. sorry about that. No, it's all right. But yeah, but as you say, now it's everywhere. I walk outside uh, down down the street of the, of the Ramona, and you smell it everywhere. You just kind of go, "What? It's everywhere." Right. But anyway, that's that's, that's another point. So working in radio, and then. Uh, having a good time doing that, partying, you know, every once in a while getting to, getting to rub elbows with the uh, the big stars and stuff like that. What was your radio so, name? Tell everybody what was your radio name. I was the Sapper. <laughs> <laughs> give, me a, give me a time check in the call letters just no, for our, no, oh, come no, on. No, no. <laughs> come on, play along a little bit. Give us, just just give us a quick example. It's, it's 6.33, it's 27 minutes before 7 o'clock on the walleye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Hey, you're hired. <laughs> you're hired. Oh he God. did it perfect. He said 6.33, which is San Diego time, 27 minutes before the top of the hour on the walleye. Perfect. Way to go. All right. <laughs> continue, buddy. Um, and then, you know, after I worked at uh, the, the country station for 20 years, working my way up, I, I like to say, and it's really a stupid saying, but... I like to say I was climbing the corporate ladder until the top rung broke off. <laughs> Man, that's was, not you know, a, was, that is not a stupid saying. That's pretty uh, pretty accurate. I was uh, I was on the air for five years, and I decided I was never going to become a highly paid morning guy like Bromo, you know, or, <laughs> right? Or, or in San Diego, you know, like Jeff and Jerry or Dave Shelley and Shane. So I wasn't yep. going to get one of those morning morning gigs, right? So and I was I was on the air, and I decided um, when the promotion and marketing manager position or director position opened up, I put my name in for it, and they said, "Yeah, perfect." So I became the promotion and marketing director and the manager of, of the radio station. Yeah, and still climbing the ladder. Then we bought a couple more stations, so we had three or four stations. I was the manager for all of those, the, man, the promotion and marketing manager, and just kept doing what I was doing. You know, setting up uh, promotions, making promotions for the stations, advertising for the stations. Staying busy, staying busy until one of the times when the we got we got purchased three different times by different companies, and the last company that purchased us went through and they decided to dissolve my position. Yeah, they didn't fire me; they dissolved my position. Yeah, and, uh, and this is after you know, twenty years of, of blood, sweat, and tears there. So it crushed me. I mean, that's just uh, like I say, crushed me. Yeah, um, I. And then, of course, after 20 years in radio, and you say I was an icon, but I couldn't find a damn job. I couldn't. I, I spent the next six, eight months. My job was trying to find a job. I was on the on the computer looking at, looking for jobs, 
you know, eight hours a day and falling into a pretty bad depression, you know. That weighs heavy on you, doesn't it? It's it's quite a, yeah, it's a bombshell, isn't it? It was, it was horrible. And I, you know, my, my, some of my friends were still out there trying to help me out, but just nothing was happening. And I started, you start feeling of no, I got no self-worth, you know, I had all this time in radio and now I can't even find a job. So I, I dilly-dallied in a couple of things. I, I, I sold some uh, things door to door and, you know, just stupid things. And, and I have to stop I you. Just, right, I have to stop you right there. I had heard that you were selling lingerie and you look pretty damn good in it. <laughs> well, I almost went there, but no, they, 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 they wouldn't even hire me for that. So, boy, what do you do with that job? Um, Go ahead. My depression was setting in, and of course, feeling sorry for ourselves. Oh, yeah. my God, I feel sorry for myself. Woe is me, woe is me, poor me, poor me. Yeah. Poor me, another one, as they say. Yeah. And so, you know, my, my daily drinking of a couple of cocktails a day after work pretty soon started escalating. And I, so I worried a little bit about myself, and I said, okay, well, I'm just... I'm sitting at this computer looking for jobs. I'm not doing anything. I lived in Ramona. I live in Ramona, which is, you know, it's about an hour outside of, uh, outside of San Diego. Right. So I was up here kind of isolated, which you recognized later on in my story. Are you married at this um, point? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm still married. I've been married for the same, to the same lady, thank God, for, for 45 years this year. No, I know about that, and congratulations. But you were married at that point. I just wanted everybody to hear your background on that. You had a couple of kids. Yeah. At that point, I was married I with, two, with, two, with two beautiful daughters, right. and yep. you know, they were they were getting worried about me. They sure. were talking to me and worried about me. Oh, that, were you um, getting were you getting those looks? And they were and they would uh, they were watching you in your uh, funk, uh, drinking more and more. <laughs> yeah, they you know they started really worried about me, and then my wife was, would tell me because you know what happened is is I would stop. I wouldn't drink before five o'clock. And then, then I said, okay, well, it's three o'clock. I can have a cocktail. Yeah. I became a clock watcher. And yeah. then I said, okay, a couple, a couple of beers at noon. And then that's, they just went from there, you know, and then pretty soon you're hiding the bottles and hiding your family sure. and sneaking drinks, wherever you can. And so my family, they were worried about me. My daughters would write me letters because they couldn't talk to me. Uh, my wife would write me letters because she, in her, in her letter, which I still have all of these letters saying, um, read this in the morning when you when you wake up because I can't talk to you at night because you can't remember what I talked to you about. Wow, you know, you're so drunk. Yeah, um, and my daughter and they were they they brought the a word. You know, uh, you're an alcoholic. So to fast forward through that part of the story, well, let me stop. Let me stop you real myself. quick. You said you got those letters still, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Do you look at them from time to time and realize how far you've come? Do you look at those from time to time and realize how close it is that we could all slip? And do you realize the letters you have are real gold and you can, they bring back memories that are either A, awful, or B, awful, and yet they tell you how far you've come. It's inspirational, isn't it? I, I do have those letters. I've got them in a, in a little file that every once in a while I'll be going through my stuff and I'll come up to them and I'll read them. And I will ever, never, ever throw them away because I got them from both of my daughters. I got them from my wife. Sure. Um, I actually got I got one from my uh, little sister in my, Montana. Yeah. Saying that she was worried about me because you know my my kids and my wife were talking to my other siblings. Yeah. And so yeah, of course I keep those and I keep all the stuff that all the, the to get ahead of myself a little bit when after you had, and Co had taken care of me and I was starting to journal. I keep all those things because. My writing, my handwriting was so pitiful I couldn't even write. Yeah, I mean that's when I when it was bad. But that's 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 a hidden story a little bit. 
So my wife and my kids are worried about me. I'm, you know, I'm saying, you know, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And finally, they just said, you know, you're gonna have to do you, you are gonna have to do something about your drinking. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'll show you. And here's where it gets fun. I'll show you. I'll quit drinking. I'm not an alcoholic. I'll quit drinking. So I quit after you know quite a few years of drinking every day, and then quite a, quite a lot of time of, of drinking a lot, feeding the feeding the devil. Yeah, I quit drinking cold turkey, and oh my god! <laughs> Did you really quit? I quit cold turkey one day, and it was the worst. I, I tried to detox at home yeah. before I even knew what detox was. Yeah, I went in. I went into the DTs. I had shakes i had oh. visions i saw things i was running around and just a couple quick things i was running around uh, with a vacuum cleaner in my living room chasing ants yeah that i saw that's and a real thing family, don't you don't you see these this is what's going through when i'm trying with my b- body and brain is detoxing when i quit cold turkey that's a real thing these ants are everywhere they're everywhere yeah well let me ask you this um, real quick i had told in my one of my podcasts when i had gone to detox i had such a bad episode where i was seeing spiders crawling around on the wall i went over and looked outside remember api in la mesa oh yeah i looked through their their stained glass window and i thought i saw soldiers outside with carrying guns looking at me Mm -hmm. through the the window and i remember when i was going so crazy losing my mind they put me on a big huge blanket and lifted me up in the air and my counselor at that point had told me a couple days later she thought i was on the verge of wet brain is that something you think you may have been on? Um, I didn't even know what the term was until after I started into recovery. But yeah, I, I probably was pretty close. Wow! I, I had this. I had the same experience as you because after the uh, ants in my living room, I'd see spiders. Yeah. And then the weirdest thing is, I live. I had a really nice house uh, in the back in the backyard on each side of the pool were really beautiful, tall, like twenty five, thirty foot tall palm trees. Yeah. And I saw. I literally saw. Monkeys climbing in them. I saw kids trying to put um, Christmas decorations on them. I saw kids trying to cut them down. Wow. Um, these are all things that I, I saw, and I, I was running around trying to lock the doors. I, I lived on a cul-de-sac, and I had a, a, a policeman, a SWAT officer, and a sheriff that lived on the cul-de-sac with me. And I would call these guys and say, hey, there's, there's, there's kids running around my house. They're, they're trying to get in. They're trying to get in. And my neighbor would come over, check on things, say, Steve, I don't see anything, I don't see anything. And after after about 10 times, seriously, seriously calling him 10 times to come over and see these things that I was seeing, he quit answering the phone. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, it was bad. I mean, the DTs were bad. and this. So fast forward to another couple of days of this going on, this going on, this going on. Denise called the ambulance. They took me to the hospital to, de- to detox in, you know, under medical care. Right. And uh, it, it was It was bad. But I came home and I was I was doing a lot better. I came home to my family after that. They were you know, cautiously welcoming me back home. Yeah, I I didn't drink. I started going to AA meetings up here in Ramona, and of course I had that newcomer's attitude because I thought I was my stuff didn't stink. Oh, I know. Um, I walk in and I'm looking around. I'm going. I'm, I'm so much, I'm not these people. Yeah. I'm oh, not yeah. like you people. I'm not, I, I'm better than you. And yep. It's all in my head. I, of course, I didn't say it. Yeah. Um, and when you introduce yourself at an AA meeting, you say, I'm Steve Alcoholic. 
Yeah. I didn't do that. I did for for the first ninety days. I would never. I would never call myself an alcoholic. Now, why? What, it, it, because was it was because it, it, was it your pride? I didn't think I was one. Yeah, I, it was my pride. It was my pride. I didn't think I was one. I didn't think I was one of those people. I'm not like you. Yeah. I just you know I would just drink. I was a little heavy, bit of a heavy drinker that I got out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> Were you pissed off? Were you like, good grief, with this meeting? Hurry up and end. I'm sick, sick and tired of hearing all these stories of woe is me. No, I, I didn't because I didn't listen. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, yeah. Okay. I, I didn't pay attention. <laughs> right. You know? Yep. Uh, I, I, and there was one. There was one old guy named Bill. I still remember his name. It wasn't the Bill, but it was his guy named was Bill. Bill. And and he he tried to take he tried to take me under his arm. He tried to help me out. And he's the one who gave me my first ninety day chip and. He's, that's when I finally said Steve alcoholic. Yeah. And but I still didn't believe it. Yeah. So I was going to AA meetings for about six months, you know, kind of going through the motions because my family wanted me to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and after six months, I thought, you know, I've got this. I I don't need to come to these anymore. I'm sitting in the jacuzzi with my wife, saying we're doing okay. She's happy for me. She's proud of me. And. Um, I decided at that point in time that maybe I was, I really wasn't an alcoholic. Maybe I just had a heavy drinking problem yeah. and that I could, I was okay. Yeah. So as soon as I had that thought enter my brain, you can imagine what happened. Yeah. Started, started drinking margaritas in the, in the hot tub. Um, <laughs> and, and as people have learned, and as I learned the hard way, once you've quit and you've got like a little bit of sober time and you decide you can handle it, Oh my God! You fall down that hill faster and farther than you ever thought was possible. Yeah, it's the most incredible thing. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, when you think to yourself, probably you haven't gone through the book like everyone else did, but when you come across that line where it says, "Look, look, I'm pretty sure now I can drink like a gentleman." Nope. No. 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 Um, and of course, going through six months of, of meetings, AA, I think they gave me a book. And I remember using it on my bed nightstand as a coaster, <laughs> yeah. which, which is as close as I came as reading it. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I seriously, I didn't, I didn't take it seriously. I didn't do anything. I didn't do the, didn't quote, do the work. Didn't get a sponsor. Didn't do the steps. Didn't do anything but show up. Yeah, I didn't even suit up and showed up. I just showed up. <laughs> yeah. Well, why would you want to? I mean, because you had a beautiful place. You were at a beautiful wife, kids. They had seen some growth in you in the recent times, and so everything's good. You know, get back to it slowly. Yep, yep. But it doesn't work and that so, way, does it? No, no. Because after six months of sobriety, and I decided that I wasn't an alcoholic and I could drink again, and I started drinking, and and again, I didn't start didn't start off heavy. You know, I just had a couple of margaritas in the margar- in the jacuzzi or whatever, and then pretty soon I'm just going down. It's a slippery slope, and I was falling down it fast. Yeah. I, I, that hole got deeper and it got harder and harder to get out of. And next thing you know, I'm back in the hospital at detox because my wife was coming in my bed. I was uh, checking me out. I was again seeing things. Yeah. Uh, I was unresponsive when she was trying to talk to me. Yeah. And she called the paramedics again yep. to come back to my house and they took me to the hospital again and uh, detox for another five or seven days, medical detox. This time um, it was it was bad. It was bad. I was I was probably pretty close to not coming back. This is the vicious circle, man, kicking in twofold. Ugh. So after detox, and this is where Bromo comes in, and and he he will deny this to his dying day. But 
Bromo had a huge hand in basically saving my life. All right. Is this the point um, where um, you are brought over to Coast? Uh, this is the point where I'm going to get ready to go back to my house after hospital. Okay. Um, yeah, I want to know this part. Ramona. Yeah, I want to know. What, I, I want to know what brought you to Coast. Did your wife and you decide that? Go ahead. Well, from what I understand, because you know you're still pretty incoherent even after detox. What I understand, um, be, by the grace of God, you know, my other other radio friends of mine, Co, Brian Maine, you, and other people said. You know, you probably shouldn't go back home again because you're just isolated up there an hour out of San Diego. Absolutely. Your kids are away at, co- your kids are away at college. Your wife goes away every day to work because then you're going to be all by yourself, the same thing, and you'll start doing what you did before. That's, this is what the consensus was. I'd start doing what I did before. Yeah. Sneaking drinks, hiding drinks, drinking. And I, I've jumped over so much of the time with like, uh, when my kids would find me sneaking drinks, oh yeah, hiding bottles and hiding bottles in my bedroom and stuff like that, I jumped through all that. That was my path. But so anyway, that was my path. Yep. So anyway, Cole and a bunch of other radio friends, several other radio friends, and you got me out to Cole's house, which was where you were living at the time. Yeah. Now, now I want to tough stop you real quick, and I want to tell everybody first of all, uh, in one of my earlier podcasts, I had told you that these angels. Co is one of them had saved me from going back to my place in Mission Beach. This is the house that um, Steve is talking about. When I first saw Steve, this is the first time I've ever met him. I believe Steve. I'm almost positive. I saw you get out of the car and you could barely walk. I think you had a cane, didn't you? I had a cane. Uh, my muscles. Had, I have a. I have a bad. I had a bad knee. I've got a new knee now, but I had a bad knee. And my muscles had atrophied so much, I and I was just so bodily weak and worn out. And just, uh, I don't know if you can cuss on this show or not. But, no, try uh, not to. <laughs> it's uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I was bad. I was. I, I he was. was he was a wreck. And and let me tell you, we, if I can remember right, Co and I, we took you to some meetings in El Cajon, and um, was it was it our idea, along with your wife, to introduce you to Freedom Ranch? Um, we were all looking for a place for me to go, um, even before, um, I think, I think for the first time I tried to get sober, we were looking at places and then we kind of looked at the Volunteers of America, never even heard of the Freedom Ranch or Pathfinder or any of those places. Yeah. Um, so when, when I was at Coe's house with you and Mitch, um, we started thinking about places to go, went to a couple of meetings, I went to church a couple of times with you guys and... The Freedom Ranch came up, and I again, I had never, ever heard of it. Yep. So I went out there. I went out there. I think, I can't remember if you took me out there, or Cole took me out there, or Denise took me out there, my wife. Yep. And went out there and did the, did the interview. Um, they said they'll, they'll get back to me as soon as they can. So I had 20, I think it was 23 or 27 days at Cole's house. Yep. Um, and this was the place, to, this was Freedom Ranch where I went. So I was an alumni telling him. All about it, remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's your, your heaven on earth, I think you call it. Well, and um, there we were on a couch one night, the night that they shot and killed Osama bin Laden. Remember when they announced that? It was in oh, May, something like yeah. that, right? Yeah. That yeah. was the night before you got all your stuff, and we took you to the Freedom Ranch. Yeah. Took me, took me to the Freedom Ranch, and again, I still had my cane. Um, I was still, even though I was... 20, I think it was 23 or 27 days out of detox that, that goes in your house. Yeah. And I uh, walked in with my cane. Um, I became, 
I became a, oh, not a joke, but uh, it was a, a little private. They called me Dead Man Walking. That's how bad I looked. Yeah, this, these were the guys um, at Freedom Ranch Colony, that right? Yeah, the, the, the other residents there, the people who were there for the same reason. But I, I mean, I was the oldest guy there. That was, God, that was about 13 years ago, 12 years ago. Yeah. I was the oldest guy there. Um, I'm, I'm really in bad physical shape, and I was a dead man walking. I remember walking after getting assigned to my room, walking to the first AA meeting at the Freedom Ranch from my room to the long room, which was, oh, probably a 100-yard walk. How would you explain that, fell, that meeting room? Down. How would you explain that meeting room? Kind of like a cabin? Well, it's a long room. It's just a long, it's like a long cabin. Um, it's, it's like a skinny gymnasium. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, just a really, it's just a really long room. It's just chairs set up and a coffee machine in the back, the obligatory AA coffee machine. Yeah, <laughs> it's within like 50 feet of the main house. And you said you fell down on your way to the meeting, huh? I, yeah, I fell down. I was walking and I, with my cane and I fell down. And it was it happened to be a visitor's night, and my roommate's da- uh, girlfriend picked me up and helped me walk the rest of the way to the, to the meeting. And that was my that was my introduction to the Freedom Ranch and and AA as it as it was going to be done then for me. How long did you stay there for? I stayed there for four months. Well, here's what I remember, and if you don't mind relaying this, and you can take over with the story. I remember there was a time when you were you were really having a rough time there. And I had gone through the same thing when I was in my Freedom Ranch time, uh, a time where you sit on a bench, you look down on the ground and you go, what am I doing here? What, where's my life going? My life is going nowhere. I'm a loser. All this stuff. Brian Maine and I went out and I remember he picked me up. We drove out there and we sat with you at a bench. I can go over there and point out the bench today. And Brian said some wonderful things. I tried to give you some inspiration and you were down. You were down, pal. You were you were beat up. Well, and again, I still had that attitude, like I had when the first time I tried to go to AAA, was I'm not like these people. Yeah, I don't belong here. In fact, I used the words "I don't belong here." Yeah. Again, I was the oldest guy there, and I was a, I was a white cracker boy. You know, <laughs> there were there were people there with tattoos that scared me. That's right. Uh, That's the, right. The, uh, the, the 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 police band would pull up every once in a while and unload three or four guys out of out of jail with their orange suits on, and they'd walk in to get some clothes from the clothes closet. That's right. And I'm just going. I'm, I'm going. I'm not like these. I still, still at that point in time, after two times in detox, two times you know coming close to uh, saying goodbye to everybody, uh, I'm still just. I've still got this attitude. That I'm not like these people. I don't belong here. And then when you and Brian were there, and I remember Brian said this, I think you said this, and I know, I know for sure that Mike, who was uh, my counselor, you know, the, the guy, the head guy there at the, sure. at the Freedom Ranch, when I would say that, he'd go, this is right where you belong. Yeah. This is right where you belong. Yeah. Exactly where you belong. And it finally started sitting in. I started, I started there, was a, there was a track there. Remember the track there at the Freedom Ranch out in the backyard? Yes, I do. I walked that track every day, and I walked that track with my cane every day, and I, and I just tried to do a better time every day as I was physically recovering, because you know it takes forever to detox. You can go to the hospital and detox, but you're still not detoxed for from alcohol for a long time. It's, a long it time. takes about ninety days, about yeah. ninety days, because alcohol invades every cell and every pore of your body. It's, it just gets into your brain, it gets into your skin, it gets into your cells. So when you, when your body's saying when you're trying to quit. Your body's saying, you're not quitting. I still need you. I still want you. Yeah. So you'd have to get you'll get a physical exercise, mental exercise. 
So as I was walking that that trail every day, I was just having little conversations with God, talking to Him, you know, in my head, saying, "What are we going to do? How are we going to do this?" And I finally started realizing that, you know, this is exactly where I want to be, yeah. where I need to be, not necessarily want to be, where I need to be. Yeah, that's. And then, and, and yeah. once I started getting that, and I got a sponsor that helped co helped me find, got a sponsor, and started actually looking at the steps and reading through it. And I was read. I, I still remember vividly reading the book, and finding myself in so many of the stories. I'd read the stories in the back of the book, and I go, "God, that that is me. Yeah, That's, that is exactly like me. Yeah." And so you come to the realization. I finally came to the realization that you know, Steve, it's it's this way or the highway, pal. You know, you got to you got to make a decision to turn your life over to get things taken care of to do do what needs to be done. Or, or you're not going to be around here. You're not going to make 70 years old. And here's the thing, if I can interrupt you again, and I know you as a person, and I know you as a character, um, as a top-notch guy, as you were staying there, day after day went by at Freedom Ranch, people uh, began to love you and respect you, and you turned that corner, and you respected them and loved them. And you. And uh, when that four months was up, how was that, how did you make that decision to go to Pathfinders? Had you heard from me that, that I had said, "Hey, that should be your next next stop." Well, a lot of a lot of the uh, pathfinders would go. To, I mean, a lot of the freedom ranch people would go to pathfinders because it was a good next stop. Because the freedom ranch is out in the middle of nowhere, right? Out in the middle of nowhere, so you can't really do much. I mean, you could you could try to walk away from there, but San Diego is a two and a half hour walk or two and a half hour. It's an hour and a half drive, yeah. so you can imagine how far of a walk it is. Yeah. Um, if you walk, if you walk the wrong way, you're walking across the border into Mexico. <laughs> right. That's right. So, so the natural progression, if if you're still not quite sure, or you don't know for sure, if you're ready to face the real world, you move, you transition to Pathfinders in the middle, in the middle of San Diego. Yeah. Almost downtown San Diego. So right. All of a sudden, you went from the middle of nowhere to real life all over again. Golden Hills with a yeah. beautiful place yeah, and yeah, some beautiful streets. Yeah, cars and we weren't even weren't, weren't allowed to have a car at the at the Freedom Ranch. So here you are at Pathfinders, there's cars, there's streets, there's 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 bars and liquor stores on every corner and, and now now's the time so can you really make it in in the real world? Yeah. And I didn't want it I wasn't sure I wanted to go to Pathfinders. I mean yeah but I, I did my four months was up and I didn't want to get out. I did want to leave uh, Freedom Ranch. I just—it was time for me to go. Yeah. So I went home. Oh, that's right. That's right. You went home. That's right. I went home, and you—I my my application was in that Pathfinder. I was waiting for to get accepted in, but I went home back to Ramona, oh, back right. to you know isolation. <laughs> I remember. And this. you freaked out. <laughs> you said you think it, I'm sure you thought to yourself, "This is the worst thing for him to do." So you called your pals at the uh, pathfinders. Yeah, I did. Said, this guy really needs to, this guy needs to get in. Yeah, you know, I did. They accelerated it. Kind of. Because yep. he, he is up in Ramona all by himself again, where yep. he was before all this stuff happened. That's right. I and forgot. I, I kind of got, I kind of got the fast track into pathfinders. I went down one day to a meeting Yeah, and walked in and walked in to talk to the, uh, the intake coordinator. He goes, so what are you doing tomorrow? I said, well, I'll be coming back down for a meeting. Oh, that's goes, right. They got you in quick. He said, <laughs> that's he said, right. I, I, he said, well, if you're going back down to the meeting tomorrow, bring your stuff because you're moving in. Went, oh, that's really awesome. I remember this. I remember I this. Think it was, I think it was like it was like less than a week or maybe a week. Yeah. So I got, I got, I got, and you know, sometimes you think that there's angels watching over you and you're one of my angels. And I, I got back in, I got in the past where 
I remained for a total of nine months. So this is 14 to 13 months in rehab, right. in recovery. Right. right. But I didn't waste my time there because I, I went to work. I mean, I, I did the work. I did the job at the, at the Freedom Ranch. I did my steps. I did my step steps. I did my, you know, my, my list of things to be a, make amends for and stuff like that. Yeah. But at, at, uh, at, at Pathfinders, I was given a job with responsibility early on. I became a resident monitor. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I became um, the assistant promotion or program director, I mean. And I was helping, I was helping, I was giving back as we're supposed to do, you know. Yeah. I was giving back to what was so freely given. I was helping out people, I was, I was working the office. And at that point in time, and, and taking a real quick step back when I was in college, I wanted to become a counselor. I wanted to become a counselor. So, not, not a drug counselor, I wanted to become a school counselor. I always wanted to help people. So now, fast forward to back where I am now, yeah. I see the opportunity. I can become um, a counselor. I can I can help people in more ways than just being sitting in this office. So I went back to school after 40 years of not being in school. I went to school to become a at that that they used to call a drug and alcohol counselor took the classes took the test passed the state exam and got my certification and that was um kind of what was that that was 2013 or 14 about 10 years ago i got my certification to become a drug and alcohol counselor unbelievable now it's called now it's called a substance use disorder counselor <laughs> yeah fantastic uh let me stop real quick and just mention again that these are the paths i took Without the the schooling that he went, um, I went to Freedom Ranch, very gritty, very raw, and then I had gone on a list, but I wasn't accelerated in <laughs> like Steve was. But I went to Pathfinders, which is all of a sudden out in the city and the hustle and bustle, and they would take you to meetings across town in a van, and and uh, there's a bar within about a 400 yards you can see from the the the, the patio from the front from the first house. There's more luring and there's more uh, things you can possibly get into out at Pathfinders. But now you're a little bit more advanced. You've been around it a little longer. Look what Steve did. This is where, when he continues with some of the questions I'm going to ask him, this is when this guy leaps and bounds became my hero because not only was he an officer, a monitor, manager, whatever you call it, because I was one too just for a little bit. But when he got out of there, we want to talk about when he came back to Pathfinders with a paid job, and he was in charge of all the men. How many men go at that time, Steve, were going to Pathfinders? I was trying to say on my podcast earlier, but I never had a figure. How many would you guess, 40, 50 men? I think we had more than that. I was going to say, no, no, it was less than that, yeah, because the Freedom Ranch had 50. Yeah. So we had like 40 men, yeah. So Steve now is a manager. Steve now has got his credentials. Steve is now looking. He's doing the intakes. He's interviewing people. He's got all this experience from the time that when he was going through it. Now, what was it like and what is it like still when you see someone come in raw and green and hungry and beat up and torn up? Isn't that, first of all, like seeing a mirror of your old self? Isn't This is where I respect you the most. Your job saved lives. And I'm going to repeat that again. Your job saved lives throughout the years through men and men who came in through the house, graduated, went on. Probably a lot of them we won't hear from again because they're living their lives. 
some of them probably have come back to say to you, dude, you remember me when I was in the house? Oh, sure. You freaking saved my life. How does that feel? Hey, you got me speechless there. <laughs> yeah, I talk too much. It's, Sorry. I mean, I just have no, every no, just, every little bit. I have every ounce of respect for you. The, the feeling, the feeling is, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable because um, working there, I would see myself coming up those stairs. I would see myself, like you said, a mirror of myself working there. I saw people I was at the Freedom Ranch with who were doing good and I respected and who fell off the wagon Yeah, and they were coming into Pathfinders to try to start again. And I would say there, but for the grace of God, go I, you know, they, they at least were coming back and trying again. And yeah, we had a lot of successes. We had a lot of successes, but then we, of course we had people who didn't make it. Yeah. And I, I keep track. Uh, I, I, I have a, a log of people who I know didn't make it. I have a log. Uh, I have a, a lot of respect for people who who did make it, who who I have some in one way or another helped through their early or later recovery. I stay in contact with them, and and you're right, not to toot my own horn, but I've had several of them say in texts and in person and in letters to me, Steve, you saved my life. You really saved my life. That's incredible. I text as, as many of those guys that came through Pathfinders that I can, but I still can't stay in contact with them. I have their sobriety dates. And I call them or I text them every year for their sobriety date and remind them just, you know, just how proud I am for the, of them and how happy I am for them. And I've been to, in the past two years, I've been to three of their weddings. Wow. Um, That's awesome. And, and, That's so cool. And, 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 and just the feeling I get when I see how far they've come is it's pretty amazing. That is first class awesome. I, I have to say, people have said to me, uh, you know, in the past, they would say, hey, that was a real funny bit that you were on uh, the other day. Uh, we were driving down the road. We heard you. And you're you're awesome. You're hilarious. Thank you. That would make my day. I'll tell you, if I get anyone that says to me, I remember, Romo, I remember being in the Freedom Ranch in the second row, and you came out and spoke years ago. And I'm still sober. And I kind of take that as a, that is the greatest compliment. Not Not like I had anything to do with the guy's sobriety, but... That to me is what I love to hear the most out of anything these days. Out of anything. Well, I, and and I'm going to interrupt you because you've had more to do with people's sobriety than you give yourself credit for. You had a lot to do with my sobriety. You've had. I was. I've heard you speak at meetings. You are a fantastic speaker at meetings. You you throw in a lot of lightheartedness, but it's all it's all very serious stuff. And yeah, you have had the hand your hand in a lot of people's changing their ways. And you cannot downplay that. I don't care if you want to say that you didn't do anything or not. You, you, again, you had a big hand in saving my life, and you've done the same with others. Well, I and appreciate the fact that. that. The fact that the, this this show here, you know, I know that you've always wanted to get back into the recovery field in one way or another, and this is it. This is what you're doing right now to, to help people who don't know what to do, who don't know how to or are afraid to take that first step of saying, hey, can somebody help me here? What what, what do I do? Well, this is and my this, this is my strength, Steve. I'll tell you what my strength is. Not my story, not my podcast. My strength is having my podcast and putting people like you on who can share. I had Nicole on two days ago. I had Eric who who talked about his meth and how he, he got out of jail and how he saved his daughter. And he's been sober now a couple of years. These stories that I'm going to have from other people 
are really what AA and really what sobriety is all about. Wouldn't you describe your journey as the most unbelievable thing you've ever been in your life? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, because it, as I mentioned, when I was going to college, I wanted to become a school counselor, and it got back to, I mean, all the radio fun I had, and I, and I, I miss it for what it used to be, but it got me back where I am now, and still, I'm not, I, I'm not working actively in the in the field, but again, I still kind of stay in contact with my clients from, uh, with my friends from Pathfinder and the clients I had later on in the family health center when I went to work there. Um, I, I stay in contact with them, and it's it's part of my life now. It is part of my journey. It's part of my story, and I wouldn't change it. Yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, uh, I still, every time I tell them on, on that, on this, on the phone, every time I get him on the phone, I remind him of the growth that he went through, of the unbelievable from walking with a cane and being completely... Um, you know, the attitude of, I don't belong here and, you know, I hate this or not necessarily that, but screw this. I'd rather just not go to these to all of a sudden be in charge of 50 guys being in charge of other people who come in for intakes, who, who interview for the chance to have their life saved by a beautiful place like Pathfinders, which I had mentioned to everybody. It's a nine month deal. Was it still a nine month deal out there? It, the recovery whole recovery field has changed a lot it's it's more of a 90 day deal but if you if you continue to do the work you have an opportunity to move into a, one of the other houses which is a sober living oh so that's right still, that's it, right that's yeah, right it, you know but it's it's still it's still a, a place of uh, you know miracles that's for sure it really is and you know what um the last time I went out to San Diego one of the last times I went out to San Diego I went to a banquet remember that it was uh uh-huh. um and this was one I don't think that you were at. This was down by the water. Um, they flew me out, and they gave me a nice, really, really beautiful crystal award. And I actually hosted this uh, Pat, uh, Freedom Ranch thing. And uh, I fondly thought of all the times we had once a year, we had our Pathfinder banquets where alumni from Pathfinders and the guys in the house currently that were in the house were part of it and they'd have a really nice mm-hmm. dinner and give away door prizes and stuff. Are they still doing that? I hope Pathfinder's homecoming again. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. Okay. I think that uh, they still, they still do some, some things uh, just as so much has changed now because of yeah. um, government. stuff. Well, yeah, they would to continue the work of recovery it costs money, and you got to get some money somewhere. So you got to the, the well. The county has always been involved with you know their 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 money for payments for helping to keep the the place open. But now we've got a lot of people who are you know t- dipping their fingers in there, saying, "Here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to do." Yeah. And 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 not to I, I hate to even say this, but not to. Def- belittle or whatever what we did because we did ours through AA, AA saved my life AA right. saved your life yeah but and when i became a counselor i found out if there are people who are just really against AA there AA there are other ways to get sober yeah and that's what we're trying to do that's what they're trying to do now in the recovery field is just expand the opportunities to people whether it's okay you don't want AA you don't want to say that there's you know there's a higher power out there that's going to help you. Yeah. Okay, how about this? Cognitive behavioral therapy or other things. So there are other ways. That just AA, I will always say, AA saved my life. Pathfinder yeah. saved my life. The free rest saved my life. 
Bromo and Co. and Brian saved my life. But if you are totally against the AA, if you think it's some sort of weird cult, which some people think it is, yeah, there are. Uh, but if you're serious about wanting to get sober, we'll find another way for you. You know, whatever works, right? Whatever works and whatever, whatever changes whatever, your life around. Whatever, whatever gets you into some kind of new outlook on life that things can be better, things can change, but you got to do the work, no matter you, what. You, whatever it is, you got to do the work. Remember Tim the cook. Oh, yeah. I you know what always used to, <laughs> Let me just tell you a thing that always used to make me mad until I confronted him about it. And then years later, it made sense what he would always say. Remember how we had those little house meetings? And uh, yeah. t- Tim was in charge of our house meeting at uh, House 2. <laughs> so we'd all get together once a week, and he would used to say, um, Listen, I know I'm going to drink someday, but for now... I'm relatively sure I won't. And I'm like, you know what? Why would you say that? Why would you have that stupid attitude? Why don't you go drink now? And I remember he'd nod and grin and look at me like, dude, you're not getting it. Because the fact is, you're not sure tomorrow, the day after, the day after. But for now, I'm relatively sure I'm not going to drink. Really, for many people, the hardest part about giving drinking up is thinking. Because my sister used to say this to me. You know, you can never drink again, right? I know, I know. I'm on the phone, and I'm trying to de- go ahead to detox, and I'm getting my stuff ready to go out. You know, you can never drink. I know, I know. That is the hardest part about surrendering to the fact that you can never drink again. And Exactly. You know? And, that, and that's why we say in whatever program you're in, is one day at a time. Because just the fact of saying never, that, that's hard to jump over. You know, I, I never really... And in fact, people who I who know, I, I, people I work with, and people I, I hang with, they know that I'm in, you know, I'm in recovery. Um, I'm an alcoholic. Yep. And they say, "Do you miss it?" And I say, "Not really. I don't really miss it." And I, I say, "They say, well, do you think you could drink again?" I said, "I don't know, but I don't want to try. Perfect. Why would I do that? Yeah. Why would I? Why would I ever do that? Because I don't miss it." So why would I have a drink? Because it may, I may be able to. You know, Bromo, I could maybe go out and have a couple of cocktails or a couple of beer. I could maybe have a beer on the, uh, you know, as I'm playing golf. Yeah. But I don't know. So why would I try? Why would I tempt myself? Why would I ever think about? Oh my God! Here we go back to the hospital again <laughs> in 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 two months, probably if if not dead. And you know? you know what you said, Steve, earlier. This is what I had marked in my brain to talk about now. Now that we're almost done with this, and I appreciate your time so much. You had said, quote, you can go 20 years, you can go 25 years, you can go 10 years. When you drink, it comes storming back even worse. And that is the most amazing, frightening, eye-opening thing. I remember when I you know, had done my time of uh, being sober, my little time sober, and I drank and relapsed. I came back tenfold, way worse. Oh, yeah. And that's the creepy yep. part. They even say that in the book when the guy went and took his uh, shot of milk and he hadn't drank in years and he saw one of those bleeping signs, buy me, buy me, and he bought, and he took one shot or two shots. Two days later, he's way, he blacked out and went into the hospital. That's how deadly yeah. the disease is. It, it comes fast and hard. I just say, I just say you know, you, the hole gets deeper and harder to get out of every time you, you relapse. And, and again, so I tell my friends, why, why would I? Why yeah. would I ever even think about tempting myself for that because yeah. uh, at my age I probably would die <laughs> let me uh, ask you one last question if uh, you can't see this person who's going to be listening you can't see our audience 
But let's say there's one person that's just uh, almost fed up. Their life has been torn apart. They've watched things uh, crumble. They lose their job. Relationships are now gone. And, 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 we, and they have a chance to listen to this right now. What would you say to that person? I would just say, you know, just surrender. Just You're going to have to surrender. Call somebody. Uh, look up AA in the phone book. Look up AA online. You, you can, wherever you are, you, cook, you click on AA meetings in my neighborhood, and they'll be bouncing up all over the place. Talk to somebody. Ask them what they think that you need to do for help. Don't talk to your drinking friends because they're going to try to talk you out of it. Oh, you're not that bad. <laughs> yeah. You're okay. You, 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 you know, you're just going through a rough spell. You know, find there's help online. There's help on the phone. There's an AA central. Uh, walk into a meeting. And the thing about and so many people, including well, I'm not going to go there, but so many people I know say I don't want to go to AA meetings because of the attitude I had. I don't yeah. belong there. Or or I'm going to know people there, and I don't want to be embarrassed. I'm going. If you go to an AA meeting and you know people there, duh, they're there for the same reason you are. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, they'll welcome. They'll welcome you. They'll go. Hey, Steve. God, good thing I'm glad to see you. It's about time. Yeah. <laughs> welcome home, brother. Hey, Steve. It's it's yeah, really been home. it's really been an honor for me. Uh, you made my Friday. I love listening to you talk about this again. You're one of my heroes for doing what you did at Pathfinders and oh, saving so it. many lives. No, I'm not going to stop. Remember, I got the buttons over here. I can turn your volume down. <laughs> you can turn me on and off anytime you want. Right? Well, that's a different story. When I go out there and golf with you, I'm going to kick you around the golf course. I know. We'll see. Uh, listen, I just wanted to thank you as a good, good friend for uh, letting our audience hear your story. It's just magical. Well, Bromo, thank you for inviting me along. You know, I mean, uh, anytime. I, this is, the, I think, the second time I've been on your show before. Yep. And... Uh, and, uh, you know, I love you like a brother. And, and anytime you need something, just, you know, you got my number. Thanks, buddy. You, you hang on right there with me, all right? All right. That's how beautiful this is. There is a way out. For people who may be listening to this for the very first time, you just heard an incredible story of survival, of conquering your demons, of moving on with life. Again, my name is Bromo. Thank you so much. I enjoy it. I enjoy having you with me. Remember again, there is a way out.